Turn over to the book of John, John chapter 13. Kneel at the cross. That's a good old song. Amen. That reminded me of old-fashioned quartet music. The way they were playing, I uh, sang in a quartet for a few years, and the piano player played that way. As uh, time went on, that kind of became somewhat obsolete, and uh, all of a sudden, some kind of new kind of sound came along, and you know, it just seemed like, wow, we're still doing the way they did way back then. And we did for quite a while. As a matter of fact, when I left the group, we were still utilizing a piano player that played like that. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. I kind of like it. It moves pretty good, and it's a lot of fun. Not that the others are bad. Obviously, we do a lot of stuff, a lot of different things here. But boy, I like that. That was good. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. We are uh, looking at, if you will, the Last Supper here. And uh, Jesus has already eaten, and now they've found themselves, he finds himself washing the feet of the disciples. And uh, now we come to a place where he's going to uh, speak. And in John 13, 21, the Bible says, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. I'd hate to be in a room if he said that, wouldn't you? And, and somebody says, well, I know it wouldn't be me. Yeah, Peter said that too. <clears throat> I don't know, I'm just saying I'd be a little nervous because he knows more than I know about me. Isn't that something? He knows you better than you know you. Now, I'd be a little nervous and I'd be like, whew, hope I get out of that one. Notice he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped, have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, right off the bat, we're going to see that it's a Man, that's a pretty bad situation. I mean, Judas is called out. I mean, he has been identified. And yet it's interesting as we go through the rest of the scripture, we realize that the disciples did not understand that. I mean, right now, as we read it in hindsight, we go, wow, that's so obvious, right? I mean, Judas is the betrayer. But for some reason, the disciples at that point totally and completely overlooked it. It went right over their heads. Even though Peter asked John to ask the question. They still didn't get it. We see John's relationship in verse 23. So now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John, the beloved disciple. We see him very close to Jesus Christ. He has a relationship with the Lord that's very unique and very special, very intimate, very close. We know Peter's request in verse 24 He says, 
Ask who it should be of whom he spake. So here's Peter now. It appears that he's beside John, and John is resting on the bosom of Jesus, and he says, hey, John, ask him of who it is he's speaking. You ask him, John. You know how older brothers and sisters are? They always get the youngest to ask the question. And John says, hey, or Peter says, hey, John, ask him who he's talking about. And John responds, verse 25, he, he lying on Jesus' breast, saith him, Lord, who is it? And we see Jesus' reply. He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Of course, he gives it to Judas. Now, you might think, well, we're obviously going to talk about old Judas. We're going to talk about betraying Jesus tonight, boy. Man, we're going to get our socks blowed off, our toes stepped on. We're going to get, I mean, it's going to get on tonight. No, that's not what we're talking about. Some of you are going, oh. And some of you are going, John Wesley once said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin, desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. John, the Bible tells us, was found resting in the bosom of Jesus Christ. He was in the perfect position to petition the Lord. He was the closest to Jesus. And when it came time to ask a question, to seek an answer, Peter looks to John and says, hey, you're closest to him. Hey, you got the ear of the master. Who is it? Ask him. The greatest need in our day and age is the same as it was in the upper room that day. Men and women who can get answers from God. Men and women of prayer. Prayer is defined more by proximity than it is petition, however. Where a person is in relationship to Christ is more important than how eloquent their request See, what made John the best candidate to make the request again was that he was closest to the Lord, his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here on stage, I'm going to set a couple things up real quick, and we're going to note this upper room a little bit, not that these are where all the disciples sat, but I'm going to need a little help here. Let me go ahead and... Yeah, Brother Josh, you're right there. Perfect. Come on up. I'm going to have you stand over there on the other side of that chair. Uh, Let me have, uh, tell you what, Brother Isaac, why don't you come on up here. You sit in that chair right over there. Not you. You stand. You sit in the chair. Well, I'll tell you what, you stand beside him. Just stand beside him. Okay, I want, yeah, you're going to be here, John. You're going to be John. And you're going to be, can you believe it, Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, 
Here's, here's how it works, okay? This is how it really works. We, we are all believers, and we have Christ living in us. I get all that. And we have access to the throne of God. But what we find at the upper room is that John himself, he's over here asking, uh, Peter, I should say, is asking John to get the ear of God, to get a petition answered. And here's what happens, really. The truth is, is that often there are obstacles that stand between us and Jesus Christ. And those obstacles keep our prayers from being heard. That's a problem. See, the problem many times with our prayers is that we're too far away from God for him to hear them or to answer them. And I know, I know everybody's saying, well, wait a second, the Bible says we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may have turned mercy and blah, blah, blah. I get that. The only problem is you got to get to the throne of grace. I got to get to the throne of grace. And I'm telling you that sometimes there are obstacles, there are things in the way that keep us from getting close to God. There are things that hinder our ability to approach the master. And you know what? We have John on one hand, he was in such close proximity, he had the ear of God. But if we, in many cases, if we're not careful, we're so far away and there's so many things between us that our prayers don't get answered. And that's a problem. We pray from a distance. And the cares of this world and the distractions of this life can stand between us and the Savior, which will keep our prayers from being answered. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. <clears throat> Now, the secret then to answer prayer is first getting in the presence of the Lord. That's really the secret. So we need the ear of God in order to get the answers. And that often can become a real challenge and even a problem. Thank you, gentlemen. <clears throat> you can leave the chairs where they're at. <clears throat> Now, we view prayers today like turning on a faucet. I mean, it doesn't matter how far the water source is, we've become accustomed to just turning on the faucet in the kitchen or possibly the restroom or wherever it might be, and we enjoy the blessing. But the truth is, is that prayer is more like dropping a bucket into a well. You got to get close to the source if you really want the answers. And you really want to be satisfied. We got to first get to God before we can effectively petition Him. We reach God, then we reach out to Him. That's very important. And again, I understand you can go to a verse and it says, Pray, ask, and it shall be given you. Well, ask from where? From a distance? <clears throat> I have four children. And the truth is, is that if they didn't have my ear, I couldn't meet their need. If I, they, they may say, boy, I, I need five bucks, you know, for this activity. Come uh, the other night for the, say, the youth, I need five bucks for the youth activity. But if, I, if they never ask, if I, they never get close enough, they never get in my ear, I don't know that. They never get the five bucks. 
Now they have access to me, but the question is, did they access me? And you know what? As believers, we get the idea sometimes that God is obligated, no matter what the circumstance or the situation, to answer our prayers as asked, because that's who he is. He's just God in heaven. He's that, just that, that sweet old man up in the glory, and he's there to take care of us and to meet our needs. He's there for us. We're not there for him. He's there for us. And so we have to be careful because sometimes we're praying, but there are obstacles that stand in our way that keep our prayers from being heard because we're praying from a distance. I don't know about you, but if I want a need met in my life, and I want to talk to my wife, say, honey, there's something I wish we could talk about. There's something we need to deal with. I'm not going to wait till she's on the other side of the church. By the way, honey, listen, can you hear me? I want you to make this special dinner for me tomorrow night. I wouldn't do that. I'd get close to her and I'd say, honey, come tomorrow night. We're having some folks over. I just really pray and hoping you'd make that good meal, the one I really like. Not that all yours aren't wonderful. <clears throat> See how I did that? You guys learning right now? <clears throat> Got to get her ear. I mean, she's over there talking to some of the ladies and she's having a good time fellowshipping. I'm like, hey, honey, I need to get down tomorrow night. And he's like, what in the world is he saying? Sounds like one of those things over there with, uh, you know, uh, peanuts, you know. Wah, 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 wah. Because she's not focused. She's not listening at that point. I don't have her ear. And can I tell you, I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes we have certain obstacles and things standing between us and God and we are trying to pray at a distance and it just goes muffled. Effective prayer isn't simply heartfelt words. It's heartfelt words in the ear of God. And that doesn't happen from a distance. See, because God's in heaven and we're on earth, we get the idea sometimes that prayer has nothing to do with getting close to God. But that's simply... That's not correct. <laughs> I mean, just sharing a burden, a need, or a longing, that's not really what it's all about. we got to get close to Him. Prayer's about fellowshipping with God. Prayer's about communicating with God. It's our end to Him. And so that means we got to remove the clutter, the cares, and the concerns of this life. And if we're going to effectively pray and experience the overwhelming power of divine prayer, we're going to have to overcome obstacles between us and God. That's just the way it is. And this evening, I want to expose just three simple obstacles that keep us from experiencing effective prayer and that changes our life and the lives of others around us. And so let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll talk about three obstacles. Father, we thank you for this time together. We need you. We're grateful for how you've allowed us to be a part of your family, but now, Lord, help us to be the best family member we can be, the best child we can be to you, our one and only Heavenly Father. Lord, help us, Father, to get your ear when we pray, Lord, to understand what it's going to require and take. Lord, meet our needs that we might, Father, help and meet the needs of others. We love you now. We need you. Be real to us tonight. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so we're going to have to overcome some things if we want to effectively pray. Because praying from a distance isn't going to get the job done. we got to get close, like John did. We need to be on the bosom or breast of Jesus. We need to get the ear of God. First of all, something that will hinder your prayer life is sin. 
Something that will cause you to be at a distance, so to speak, from God is sin. In Psalm chapter 66, verse 18, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You're not going to hear you. And someone says, well, that's Old Testament. I mean, we're talking about David there, and we're talking about before Christ died, was buried, and rose again. We're under grace now. It's not about how we live. It's not about our lifestyle. It's all about what God promised to do for us, whether we do anything for him or not. I'll tell you something, you better be careful with that one. Matter of fact, if you're not praying in the will of God, then your prayers won't be answered either. You say, well, what's the will of God? You better start reading the Bible. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I regard you, then I'm lifting you up in esteem. I'm putting you in a place of prominence. I'm allowing you uh, uh, some kind of sense of honor, if you will. Can I tell you, when we place sin in, in a place of esteem in our life, we allow it to be a, a major part of our life, and we, we accept it and we receive it without pushing it away. We regard it in our life. The Lord's not going to hear our prayers. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. In his book, Power Through Prayer, My mind just went blank who the author is. Ian Bounds. He said, the more spiritual any duty is, the more my carnal heart is apt to stray from it. When I can find my heart dissolved in prayer, everything else is comparatively easy. <clears throat> it is amazing what prayer can do for us, but we've got to get into a place where God can hear us. And sin becomes an obstacle in our life that keeps us from getting close to God. And if we're not close to God, we will be at a distance. And if we're from a di at a distance, he, we will not have his ear. John was sitting in the lap of Jesus virtually. John had a relationship with Christ that was unique and special. John had made up his mind not to let anything come between him and the Savior and when we come to that conclusion and we live our life accordingly, we'll find that the obstacles are swept away and we are right beside the Lord Jesus. And boy, let me tell you, if you're that close, you need only whisper. Sin. <clears throat> We've got to overcome sin. Well, what's another hindrance? What's something else that will hinder effective prayer that changes our life and the lives of others? <clears throat> Number two, it's laziness. Laziness. A stranger was passing along a road and he was kind of uncertain as to where he should go, what direction he should go. So he saw a shepherd boy lying on the roadside, uh, kind of laying down, taking it easy while the sheep were kind of grazing in a nearby pasture. He approached the boy and he, he, he asked the way. He asked, what direction should I go? And the boy, hardly looking up, put his hand up in the air and stretched out his arm nonchalantly and said, that way. The stranger thanked him, but he said, hey, if you can show me anything lazier than that, I'll give you a shilling. Without even looking up, the boy said, Put it in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I 
You talk about lazy, right? Now that's lazy, amen? The Bible's clear that you and I are not permitted to be lazy. We're not even permitted to be lazy. Again, we quoted it this morning, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible tells us, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there's no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. <laughs> he said, you can't be lazy in this life. You can't be lazy as a believer. One of the reasons we fall, we fail to get close to God is that we are lazy at times. I mean, it demands discipline and determination to faithfully and consistently advance toward God. And may I say that God intends us to advance. We're to always be drawing nigh to the Lord. We're always to be drawing close to God. And whenever we do, I tell you this, it's worth it. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. It seems to me that he wraps everything into one there, the first point and the second. He lets us know that certainly, without a doubt, we cannot be lazy. We have to be pursuing Christ. We have to be advancing toward the Lord Jesus. We have to be drawing nigh to him. And if we'll do that, he'll draw nigh to us. And he says, cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Because the reality is, is that if we're not pursuing him, if we're not drawing close to him, if we aren't getting in his proximity and, and resting on his bosom and speaking into his ear, he'll not hear us. And if there is sin between he and us, we are simply praying from a distance. That's not very effective prayer. Again, in power through prayer, Ian Bounce says our laziness after God is our crying sin. The children of this world are far wiser than we. They are at it early and late. We do not seek God with ardor or, and diligence. No man receives God who does not follow hard after him. And no soul follows hard after God who is not after him in early morn. He doesn't know nothing. He's an early riser easy for him. Well, he's not talking about getting up 20 minutes before it's time to get up. He's talking about getting up an hour, two hours early. And there's a difference between, well, I woke up, set my alarm for quarter to 15 minutes early. I'm not good when I got to jump up in the morning. This guy's up two hours before it's time to get up. <clears throat> He says it's important that we pursue him. See, the psalmist expressed his desire for God, and he said it as follows. In Psalm 143, verse 6, the psalmist said, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. I am parched. I need satisfaction. I need the water of life. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory, we are far too easily pleased that in the end is the reason we do not pray more than we do. Nothing less than infinite joy is offered us in God's kingdom of light. He has promised that we will one day shine like the sun in that kingdom. <clears throat> we are far too easily pleased. That's what he says. It sounds a lot like settling, doesn't it? Boy, how important is it that we are no longer lazy, that we 
force ourselves to, to quit being slow, moving, so to speak, toward the master. Instead, make our way to him. Laziness. Laziness will cause us to pray at a distance. And praying at a distance is not effective prayer. So we see that sin and laziness become obstacles to us. On the one end is Jesus Christ, and on the other is us. Sin, laziness, between us keeps us from his presence. It hinders effective prayer because it keeps us praying at a distance instead of in the ear of God where the answers will certainly be shared. Number three, you're getting very excited, aren't you? Not a very long message. Yet. Sin, laziness, and finally three, I know there's many others we could add, but haste. I know that sounds somewhat of a contradiction after what I just said. Laziness, haste, we should be hasty. Hold on, we're going to realize that sometimes moving too fast, staying too busy, never slowing down enough to get close to Jesus is a big problem in the world we live. You know what I found is very difficult to do? When I'm out in the hallway at the end of a service and someone's talking to me, you know what I find very difficult to do? Talk to more than one person at a time. I'm not talking about we're all talking about the same thing and we're in a big circle, just everybody talking about, you know, how great the Browns were this year. Got finally something to talk about a little bit, I guess. We're talking about how Jesus is going to return real soon. That's better right now. We can all amen. Let me tell you something. When I'm talking to somebody about an issue and we're talking like this and two or three other people come along, hey, pastor, hey, listen, I've got to tell what this, blah, blah, blah. You know what I find? I, I can't hear a word they're saying. It's total confusion. I'm trying to focus on that person that I'm discuss- talking with and they're trying to talk to me. I don't know, even know what they're asking me. I don't know what they're saying because honestly, I'm trying not to listen because I can't possibly hear that person if they're talking to me too and I'm trying to listen to them. I can only listen to one person at a time. And can I tell you, we have these things called cell phones today. We have this stuff called the internet today. We have this stuff called social media today. And there's always information being poured at us. People talking to us all the time. People sharing things all the time. We're talking to them. They're talking to us. We're interacting with them. They're interacting with us. And we wonder why we're praying at a distance and God's not answering our prayers. But I'll tell you what, you get in too too fast mode. You get too busy. You never slow down enough. You're never going to get close enough to God for him to hear you. Martin Luther, upon being asked one time by a friend what his plans for the day were, he said, work. Work from early until late. I have so much to do that I will spend the first three hours in prayer. Hold on. No, no, I didn't. I must have read that wrong. Let me go back and look at that. Work. 
work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Let me ask you, when you have to work, work from early till late, who's the last person you talk to? I don't know, if your flesh is bent like my flesh is, you know who usually loses out? God. I mean, here's a guy that's telling me he's so busy, he has to pray three hours a day. We say, I'm so busy, I forgot to pray. Or I didn't pray. See, I'm so busy that there's just too many obstacles between me and the Lord. I'm moving so fast over here, I don't have time to get to him. That's a problem, isn't it? The Bible says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. Again, I borrowed from the book Power Through Prayer. There he inbounds again, says, The ability to wait and stay and press essentially belongs to our fellowship with God. Haste, everywhere unseeming and damaging, is often, to an alarming extent, a part of the great business of communion with God. Short devotions are the bane, let me explain, poison. Short devotions are the poison of deep piety, spiritual devotion. So he's saying, basically, short devotions are the poison of deep spiritual devotion. Calmness, grasp, and strength are never the companions of haste. Short devotions deplete spiritual foundations. And blight, the word blight has to do with a disease that infects. Short devotions deplete spiritual foundations and infect the root and bloom of the spiritual life. They are the prolific source of backsliding, the sure indication of a superficial piety or shallow and inconsistent faith. I don't know about you, but I don't know what he said, but it sure sounds bad. Short devotions. We could stop right there, right? Short devotions. What's he say about short devotions? Well, they're the poison of real deep spirituality and devotion. Short devotions are? Mm Mm-hmm. He says that calmness, grasp, and strength never accompany haste. Short devotions, again, he says, depletes spiritual foundations. You got a foundation? A spiritual foundation? Have short devotions, and pretty soon that'll be gone. He also goes on to say that it's an infection at the very root and bloom of the spiritual life. They, those short devotions, 
are the prolific source of backsliding. You want to be sure to backslide, just have short devotions. Spend little time in the Word. Spend little time in the presence of God. Then you will backslide. It's okay, because that's the direction we go. It's just the way it is. Don't worry about it. Don't fret over it. Have short devotions, and backsliding is in your future. We got to clear our schedules. We need to make time to navigate around the obstacles that keep us from Jesus and ultimately the ear of God. We're just going to have to do that. I wonder, how important are your children to you? Are they worthy of only short devotions? Because the problem is, is that not only will you not get God's ear for your children, but sooner or later you'll be out of the ear of God too if you all are in it all, are in it at all right now. It'll be you that's backsliding. You won't have to worry about your children. It'll be you. See, we don't take our relationship with the Lord often as serious as we should. Again, it seems kind of distance to us. He's a long ways off, you know. But the problem is we need to practice the presence of Christ. We need to get in his presence on a regular basis if we truly want to succeed in our Christian life. If we want the ear of God and answers to prayer, we've got to be where John was, not even where Peter was. And Peter wasn't even that far away from God, but instead, when it came time to get an answer, he turned to John and said, hey, John, you, you got the ear of the master. That ought to be what happens at work. That ought to be what happens at, in our homes, and our families. People ought to know that we're that close to Jesus, that we have his ear. They ought to be calling us and saying, hey, listen, would you ask God on my behalf about this? We noted some hindrances to the greatest need today, which is prayer. One is sin. Two is laziness. Three is haste. Sin stands between us and Jesus. Laziness keeps us from being in his presence. Haste leaves us no time to meet with him. It's not that we don't pray, by the way. We do pray. We do. But our prayers at times aren't being heard for one reason or another. There are obstacles that stand between us and the master. There's prayer at a distance. And I know that I can feel it here tonight. There are some that are thinking it's unscriptural what I'm preaching. That God hears you no matter what, no matter the circumstance, and that you don't have to worry about that. All I want to know is, is how many of your lost family are saved now because of your prayers? I mean, we're not going to pull punches then. Let's get to the nitty-gritty. What kind of joy do you find in your life today through your prayer life and your relationship with the Lord? How's it affecting your family's joy? We talk about things like this all the time. We act like, well, we know what the Bible says, but I also know that the Bible says when I'm in the presence of Christ, the world fades away. 
We bear the burden of this world and this life. We have this, just this unbelievable pressure on us all the time. And we, we go around talking about our great faith and we talk about how God answers prayer, but yet for some reason we are burdened down. We walk around with our knuckles dragging the ground for the weight of the burden. What's wrong with that? I still remember Jesus in chapter 14, just a chapter later, saying, let not your hearts be troubled. <clears throat> you believe in God, believe also in me. Who is this Jesus we serve? Is he a God big enough to unburden the load, to carry the load on our behalf or not? Well, he hears my prayers. Then how's come you're so miserable? How's come Christianity across this country has no power with the world in which we live? If God's hearing our prayers so, so often, if we're really in a position, whether at distance or not, to hear our prayers, why is it nothing's happening? Why are our churches dying? Why is our country going to hell? Where's the power in the pulpit? Where's the power in the pew? Where's the power in the home? Our children are walking right out into the world and joining them. Oh, God hears my prayers, does he? Really? Is that what you're, is that, you're willing to settle for that? I'm not. I'm not going to do it, but I wanted to pick that chair up and throw it all the way across that thing. I did. I came real close. It just got in me, and I just wanted to throw it. But like being like Samson like I am, I'd probably put it right through the wall. So let me just pull it back real nice and gentle. We got to get rid of these obstacles, folks. We got to get rid of them. We've got to get in the ear of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to get in the ear of God. There's too much at stake not to. We can't settle for distant praying. We need to get in the ear of God. Mr. and Mrs. Moody, talking about a preacher from years gone by, they often had guests in their Chicago home. And one evening after a very demanding day, Moody asked a visiting Christian to lead in family devotions. <clears throat> the man, he, he waxed eloquent as he expounded the symbolism in a difficult chapter of the Bible. Then he prayed at great length. When the worship was over, Mrs. Moody and the guest got up from their knees, but Mr. Moody remained bowed in prayer. The guest thought that he was praying, but Mrs. Moody soon realized that her husband was asleep. He had fallen asleep during all of that. I wonder how much of our prayer puts God to sleep. I wonder how much of our prayer puts our children to sleep having our devotions, but there's no power in them. There's no relationship with the Lord. There's no closeness. There's no intimacy there. We're just going through the motions. John dealt with a sin. 
John addressed laziness, and John slowed down long enough to find himself in the right place to get answers. To close, I borrow from Ian Bounds one more time. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, he says. Men, will we close the distance? Will we address our sin? Will we address our laziness? Will we deal with the haste and the busyness of our lives and our schedules so that we can get into the ear of God and make a difference in our homes, our families, our community, our country, our world? Ladies, will we do the same? Father, we come to you. We are desperately in need of you, and we are grateful to you, no doubt. We know that you are anxious to hear from us. We understand that. But Lord, may we not just assume because we throw up 